I'm thankful for the privilege of opening up God's Word with you uh, this morning as we're going to continue our summer series looking at giants of the faith. Today, we're going to be studying Hebrews 11, 23 uh, to 28 together, uh, looking at the story of Moses through the writing of the author of Hebrews. And we're going to read the text together in just a minute. But for now, I want to be really, really upfront with you from the beginning, okay? When we look at this text together in the story of Moses, what we're going to see is this. I'm putting all my cards on the table. This is what we're going to see. A man whose faith propelled him to make right decisions in the critical moments of his life. You see, Moses was a man of resolve. Now, decision-making is not new, right? Our life is virtually made up of decisions. Each and every day, you and I are faced with decisions that need to be made. Some of those decisions are very simple, And some of those decisions are very complex. Some require just a little bit of thought and some require very careful thought. And some of us actually don't even really like to make decisions. And so without making a decision, we decide to put off making a decision, which as you know, is a decision in and of itself. Confusing, right? Yes, I know. But here's the deal. Our decisions are important for this reason, okay? Because our decisions put flesh on the convictions that you and I hold. Our decisions display what we truly value. And really practically, someone once said that it's not a matter of having time to read your Bible or to pray, but a matter of taking time. And taking time requires a decision, and that decision displays your values. You know, in a moment maybe where you feel led to share the gospel with somebody, the decision that you make, whether or not to strike up that conversation, displays what you truly value. Or in a moment of temptation, when you're faced with this decision of whether or not you're going to sin, that moment, that decision displays what you truly value in that moment. Maybe a little bit less serious of a note, when you're trying to watch what you're eating and you're driving down the road, and you see those beautiful golden arches in your view, saying yes or no, that decision will truly display how much you actually value watching what you're eating, right? Our immaturity, our maturity, our holiness, our lack of holiness, all of these things are seen in the decisions that we make. And so regardless of what you and I say we value, our decisions will either approve or deny that reality. Now, in a more narrow sense today, I don't want to focus so much on the everyday decisions that we make, but rather the ones that we make in the critical crisis moments of our life when things are at stake. Because here's the reality. They not only display our values, but some decisions actually have the potential to shape the entire course and quality of our lives. Okay, our decisions have consequences. It's been said that Napoleon believed there is a crisis in every battle, a period of 10 to 15 minutes on which the entire outcome depends. To take advantage of this period is victory and to lose it is defeat. One small decision decides the entire outcome of the battle. And it's the same in our lives. Listen, we live in a world that tells us that we are just a product of our circumstances, right? Of what's happening to us. 
And yet, when we're faced with the biblical reality, the truth is that we're not so much shaped by what's happening to us, but by how we're responding to what's happening to us, by our resolve, by our decisions. So let's read the text together, and then we're going to dive in to the story of Moses. Hebrews eleven twenty three to 28. I hope you have your Bible open in front of you. Eyes on the page. Here we go. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not of being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. As we look at the story of Moses this morning, at least seen through the eyes of the passage that we're focusing on, we're going to see that right decisions are made by faith. And we're going to arm ourselves this morning, guys, with four keys that are going to equip us to make right decisions in the critical moments of our life, okay? Four keys that will equip us to make right decisions in the critical moments of our life. So the first key is this. We need to hold fast to God's plan. Hold fast to God's plan. Right away when we're faced with with two words that cause us to kind of stop and consider what we're talking about here when we read verse 3, right? By faith, it says. And if you read some of the surrounding context to our passage, you'll see very clearly that we find ourselves really in the middle of a discourse on faith. What is faith? How does faith flesh itself out in the lives of God's People. You see, all through Hebrews 11, there are names of many of the heroes of the faith. And the author here is giving quick illustrations of how faith actually operated in their lives. And maybe you're sitting there wondering, what is faith? What is faith? How, you keep using this word over and over. What is it? Well, I'm glad you asked. Hebrews 11, verse 1, defines faith for us as this. It says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so generally speaking, these heroes of the faith live their lives assured that what they were hoping for would one day be a reality. They made decisions not necessarily because they believed that tomorrow everything would be perfect, but because they were convinced that there would be a one day, which can leave us with a question, right? Did they make the right decisions? Are we talking about right decisions here or are we just talking about decisions that were made? Was it right for them to live this way? Because ultimately the measuring stick and the barometer of the rightness of a decision is not whether or not you and I think it's right, but whether or not it's right in the eyes of the Lord. And so we can know that. If we look at Hebrews verse 2, sorry, Hebrews 11 verse 2, it says this, For by it, which is by faith, the people of old received their commendation. And so we know that their decisions were approved because they were made by faith. So that's just a little bit of context to kind of help us dive into verse 23 here. And when we do, we look at one of the examples of faith in the story of Moses. And it actually begins 
with Moses' parents. Now, if you know anything about the story of Israel from Genesis to Exodus, you might know that a small family over the course of 400 plus years turns into a massive population of people that were living in Egypt. And so out of fear and with the desire to kind of reduce the population of the Hebrew Hebrew slaves, Pharaoh gives an edict that he wants all the male babies to be cast into the Nile, Exodus 1.22 says. And so this is a crisis moment for Moses' parents when they find out that they're pregnant, right? What do they do? What do they do? By faith, the text says, they hid him for three months. And why? Why did they do this? Again, we go back to the text. It says, they saw that the child was beautiful. Now, we know from other scriptures that the idea here is not that, like, basically any new parent, they thought they had a cute kid here, and so they decided, oh, let's keep him. That's not the idea, okay? Their concern was for much more than Moses' beauty, and we know that because in Acts 7, verse 20, Stephen, which this is a similar kind of passage telling the story of Moses' life in Acts chapter 7, Stephen says that Moses was lovely in the sight of of God. And that word lovely actually means that God had a really special, unique affection for Moses that goes much beyond his physical appearance. Now, we don't know how much God had actually communicated to Moses' parents about his future or that he would be the deliverer of Israel or anything along those lines because the text doesn't give us any indication of that. But what we do know is that it was by faith in God that they decided to hide him and to oppose Pharaoh's order. So whatever they did know, they knew that God had special reasons to protect Moses. In other words, it was Mo- God's plan that Moses stay alive. Now let's think about this just for a second from Moses' parents' perspective for a minute, okay? There's this edict that comes down to you from the king that essentially bears two threats. The first one is to keep your baby alive when you shouldn't be. That's to risk the life of your baby, right? Surely if Pharaoh found out that Moses was alive, he would be killed. But what else? I think implicitly in the text, we can assume that the king's orders aren't arbitrary, Right? This is a threat as well on the lives of the parents for disobeying the king's orders. Now, can you imagine the courage that this would take day after day for three months hiding your baby? I mean, I remember when our oldest boy, Kingston, was born. And so I had just become a new parent and we're staying overnight in the hospital. And I'm like laying down on this terribly uncomfortable leather chair that's supposed to function kind of like a bed kind of thing and my wife's in the hospital bed and our little newborn baby's in this bassinet and you tell me what do you think happened like as soon as I heard the smallest little noise come out of that bassinet right I'm like out of the chair right away is he okay is he breathing what's going on like I'm looking to see if his chest if he's you know still inhaling and exhaling imagine that for 90 days with the imminent threat of death if Pharaoh found out what you were doing. And yet here's the point, okay? Moses' parents were willing to risk their own lives to follow God's way. No doubt they knew about the story of Israel. No doubt they knew about their heritage. They knew God's promises to Abraham. And I don't think that it's a stretch of any kind to assume that uh, based on their knowledge of what God had said he would do with his people and based on the special affection that they knew God had for Moses, that they made a faith-filled decision to obey God's plan and to disobey the king's edict. 
In the midst of all the uncertainty, in the midst of all the fear, they resolved to keep Moses alive. And they held fast to God's plan despite the risk that was inherent in that decision. This truth is so instructive for our lives. And let me ask you, when when you're faced with making critical decisions in your life, how do you weigh out your decision? What factors go into your decision? What checklist do you work through when you're faced with making a critical decision? You see, like Moses' parents who prioritized God's word over the king's word, we need to ask ourselves, am I prioritizing what God has said? Am I prioritizing what God has said? In a world that's so caught up with putting all these different hedges of safety and security and comfort around us, when we're faced with tough decisions that involve risk, when something's at stake, our overarching measuring stick cannot simply be, is there any risk here for me and my family? And if there is, I'm out of here, right? Our, our, our measuring stick cannot be, what am I gonna get out of this? When am I gonna see the return on this decision? The priority needs to be what has God said? And then we hold fast to God's word. Has God clearly said anything in his word about this decision? You know, some things are very black and white. Should I commit adultery with this person who is not my spouse? Absolutely not, you shouldn't. Okay, or should I pursue this job that will uh, require me to be unethical, require me to be involved in sin in some measure? No, you should not do that. But even in the gray areas of life, what are the principles that we can glean from God's word that will help us faithfully make these decisions? Friends, we need to prioritize what God has said. We need to hold fast to God's plan. Now, just as a side note, as we're moving on, I want you to notice that the text does not say that they went out and flaunted their baby everywhere, okay? They probably weren't out walking around showing baby Moses off to everybody. And in other words, what I'm trying to communicate is that there was a measure of wisdom used here. And I believe that that's okay. I don't think the text is calling us to be careless or to be foolish, but just that if we want to be confident and have resolve to make faith-fueled decisions in our lives where things are at stake, we need to first prioritize what God has said. And then we can understand the risk. We can be wise. And ultimately, we need to hold fast to God's plan. The second key to making faith-fueled decisions is this. We need to pursue God's prize. Okay, we need to hold fast to God's plan. But we also need to pursue God's prize. In verses 24 to 26, there's an obvious shift here that takes place from focusing on Moses' parents to Moses' own faith. And it says this, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up. Now we're going to stop here because I want to fill in the picture of Moses' life a little bit for you. In Acts chapter 7, it tells us that Moses was actually 40 years old at this point when he was grown up. And so there's a gap here of three months to 40 years that we need to make sense of a little bit. Um, God providentially works it out so that Pharaoh's daughter, after discovering Moses in the Nile, offers Moses back to his mom to be raised with him until the child grew older, Exodus 2 says, at which point she would give Moses back to Pharaoh's daughter to be raised in the house of the king of Egypt. And so 
You can imagine Moses lived and grew up with a little bit of a split childhood here, right? When no doubt he was with his parents, he would be trained and taught in the ways of God. Perhaps he was told of Israel's history and again, the promises of God to Abraham to bless Israel with the, with the land of Canaan and to be a great nation. Perhaps he was taught of the messianic hope and of the deliverance that God had promised to Abraham in Genesis 15, where he says that his people would be afflicted for 400 years, but then God would bring judgment on the nation that afflicted them, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. And then Moses gets handed off to become a prince of Egypt, literally the wealthiest, most cultured and advanced society of the day. And Acts 7.22 says that Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and he was mighty in words and deeds. And so Moses becomes this highly educated, highly skilled prince in the courts of Egypt where obviously he is observing and experiencing an entirely different kind of life. Now he's a man of high rank. Now he's a man of high education. Now he's a man of high level of ability. And he has everything, literally everything that Egypt has to offer him at his fingertips. And so at 40 years old, Stephen says in Acts 7 that it came into Moses' heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And in a moment, Moses sees his brother being beaten and being oppressed by an Egyptian. And and I believe that in this moment, he's faced with an identity crisis of sorts, right? Who am I? What do I value? What do I believe? Where is my allegiance? Is it to the God of my people or is it to the king of Egypt? You see, Moses was at a crossroads And there's a decision that needs to be made here in Moses' life that will actually shape the entire course and quality of his life. From an earthly perspective, I think this decision is easy, right? Come on, Moses. Enjoy the status. Enjoy the wealth. Enjoy the privilege, the upbringing as an elite in society, right? Like, this guy's literally one in a million in terms of looking at Hebrew slaves. Like, just turn your eyes, Walk back to the palace, right? And yet, I love this. The text says that Moses refused. Moses didn't cower. He took a stand. And by faith, he made a decision. A decision that would cost him everything from an earthly perspective. He effectively renounces his position as the status and status of the son of Pharaoh's daughter when he intervenes and he defends this Hebrew slave. He's identifying himself not with the people of Egypt, but with the people of God. And why did he do this? He had so much at his fingertips. Why would he do this? Why did he make this decision to receive the mistreatment, to receive the reproach of Christ? Well, Verse 26 says that he was looking to the reward. You see, Moses' focus was not on the benefits of being a temporary prince of Egypt, but on being an eternal child of God. Moses weighed the issues of time and life in the balance of eternity. And he determined that God's reward was actually much better than the world's. Man, that we would have eyes like Moses. 
I've been praying this week that God would make me a person that's not so short-sighted. How easy is it for us to fix our eyes on the earthly prize, on the temporary, on the momentary, on the quick fix, on the easy solution, on the quickest road to satisfaction regardless of where it's found. Friends, in the critical decisions of our life, we need to pursue and prioritize God's prize. We need to ask ourselves, am I looking at this decision with an eternal perspective? Am I looking at this decision with an eternal perspective? And here's the truth that we learn from the life of Moses. Sometimes those eternally motivated decisions actually require a lot of temporary sacrifice. One commentator wraps this portion of scripture up in a nice alliterated bow by saying this, Moses rejected worldly prestige, which was being uh, named as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Moses rejected worldly prestige. Moses rejected worldly pleasure, which is the fleeting pleasures of sin. And also Moses rejected worldly plenty. So prestige, prestige, pleasure, and plenty. All of these things Moses rejected. You know, as I look at that list, I see reputation, I see status, I see money, I see wealth, I see sin, these things that can so easily grip our hearts. Just as you consider this text this morning, let me ask you, how has your desire to temporarily uphold your reputation affected maybe the eternal influence and impact that you could have for the Lord? How has sin and it's temporary pleasures that so easily can grip our hearts. How has it caused you to forsake what God has said? Maybe stained your witness for the Lord or corrupted your vision of what is actually truly and lasting satisfaction. Friends, how has your pursuit of the temporary dollar blinded you to the greater value of eternal treasures? See, God's reward is far better than anything this world could offer. And so Moses was mistreated as God's people. Moses suffered disapproval. He suffered the reproach of Christ because he chose to identify with the Messiah and his people. But here's the fascinating thing in this text. You see, it says Moses considered, right? Moses considered. That word means that he gave careful thought to this decision. This was not flippant. He weighed out this decision, and this decision truly displayed what he valued, that it was actually of greater wealth. See, he wasn't taking a loss here. We need to see that. Moses did not think that he was taking a loss. Moses thought he was pursuing the better thing. And that decision would shape the entire course and quality of his life. And the passage tells us that this decision was made by faith, and so it was a right decision. If we want to be equipped to make right decisions in the critical moments of our life, we need to hold fast to God's plan. We need to pursue God's prize. And thirdly, we need to seek God's presence. We need to seek God's presence. Verse 27 says, By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. 
Now let's pick up where we left off in the story of Moses. You see, Moses, like I said, had been brought up mostly under Egyptian rule and education, probably around 30 plus years or so, experiencing life as this high-ranking Egyptian with all the benefits that that would have. And at this point, he's just intervened on behalf of the Hebrew slave. And he's actually defended him and he struck down the Egyptian. He's renounced his Egyptian identity and he's displayed his allegiance with the people of God. And Acts 7.25 gives us a really great insight into what's happening here. It says, Moses supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they didn't understand. And as, as we learn more about this story, we get a clearer picture into Moses' intentions. We learn that Moses was actually thinking that this act might function like some kind of rally cry as a revolt for Israel. Maybe he knew that the 400 years of slavery that had been prophesied about, that they were up. And so he's ready. He's ready to lead God's people. And yet there's a big problem here because you're not a leader if no one is following you. You're not a leader if no one is following you. And this is the case in Moses. Nobody was behind him. You see, Moses got ahead of God. He may have had noble intentions to fulfill God's will, but he did it in his own way. And I'm sure whatever that Egyptian did, maybe he didn't deserve to be killed. And even if he did, Moses certainly was not the one called to be the judge or the executioner for what he did. But God's people rejected him. And word got out that Pharaoh was going to kill him. And so what did he do? The text tells us in verse 27, it says, By faith, he left Egypt. Moses fled. Now, there's a little bit of a problem here that we need to deal with because Exodus 2 verses 14 and 15 actually says, Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. Meanwhile, our text in Hebrews says, By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. So which is it? Is Moses afraid or is Moses not afraid? It's interesting because I, I think we have a similar situation actually in verse 23 where it says of Moses' parents that they were not afraid of the king's edict and yet they still chose to hide their baby. So I, be, I believe uh, what's taking place here is, is the author of Hebrews is telling us that there was a degree of fear here. I think the text makes that plain. But the point is that fear was not the primary motivator in his decision. Okay? And the same thing goes for Moses' parents. But with Moses, the scripture make it clear there was a degree of fear here, right? The text says that. But I think fear was not the primary factor in his decision. And the key really is in the words, for he endured, which we find in verse 27. In fact, if you collapse Hebrews eleven twenty-seven, the verse reads like this. By faith he left Egypt for, which is a purpose statement, because... Okay, by faith he left Egypt because he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Ultimately, it was not fear that drove Moses out of Egypt. It was endurance in seeking the Lord. Moses believed that God was leading him out of Egypt. 
in the midst of all the fear, it says that he endured or he persevered as if he saw him who is invisible, which is to say that Moses had an ongoing attitude of looking to the Lord, of seeking the Lord and of trusting the Lord's leading. He had the spiritual perception to believe that God was at work in all of his earthly circumstances. And because of that, Moses paid more attention to the invisible king of kings who was leading him than he did to the visible king of Egypt who is seeking him. And by faith, he resolved to leave Egypt because he believed that God was leading him and was with him. I think we can think of similar stories like this. You know, we can think of the countless missionaries uh, who leave their homeland maybe to live amongst an unreached people group despite fear of the unknown. We can think of people like Moses, uh, who in the face of um, constant ridicule and criticism, he stayed the course. He completed the ark. Why? Because God was with him. Because God told him this is what he needed to do before the flood came. God was guiding him. God was leading him. Or even Esther, who in the face of death, believed that God was calling her to speak on behalf of the Jewish people. Despite fear, she says, if I perish, I perish. Perseverance like this is an attribute that we respect, that we value. I think it's an ingredient that maybe many of us wish we had more of in our life. I know that I'm so convicted by this personally because I don't know about you, but it's so easy to allow fear to drive us to the decisions that we make. It's so easy to be shackled by fear, even when we believe that God is leading us. And yet here's a helpful principle for us today. That confidence in the Lord's leading enables you to persevere in the face of fear. Confidence in the Lord's leading enables you to persevere in the face of fear. And so as you and I make critical decisions in our life, we need to be asking ourselves this question. Am I confident of the Lord's leading? Am I confident that God is leading me? You know, Hebrews 1 says that long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. You know if you've read the Old Testament that God communicated to his people uh, through visions, through dreams. He spoke to them audibly. He led them by a pillar of fire and a cloud. And yet nowadays, how do we gain confidence in God's leading us? Well, I believe in the sufficiency of of Scripture, which means that we don't need any more special revelation, that we can be satisfied with the voice of God as it comes through the Word of God. But I do think that in the Word of God, we need to recognize that God in His kindness actually calls us to seek wisdom and confirmation of His leading in additional ways as well. And so I just want to give you those ways. I think these will be helpful for you as you're faced with making critical decisions in your life. The first thing is prayer. Prayer may be an obvious one to you. Uh, James 1.5, if anyone lacks wisdom, what should we do? Make the decision all by ourselves, right? No, 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 no. Let him ask God who gives generously. Prayer, maybe secondarily, we can talk about um, 
community or relationships. Maybe this would flesh itself out for you in the life of your small group, right? The one another's that we read in the New Testament. Colossians 3.16 says that we ought to be teaching and admonishing one another with God's word. Another verse from Proverbs that I love, Proverbs 19 verse 20 says, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. So we have prayer, we have uh, relationships, and I think lastly, God's word calls us to seek counsel from the elders of our church. Acts 20, 28 says that elders are called to care for the church of God. And one way that they can do that is by helping us think through critical decisions with godly wisdom. And I just want to emphasize here that as we're discerning God's leading in this question, the reality is that maybe sometimes we can pretend to want to seek after God's wisdom. Maybe we want to offer and ask for some kind of quasi um, accountability. Maybe we want to have a conversation with somebody when we really ultimately know that we've made the decision all by ourselves. And so if, if you have the attitude of, hey, ultimately I'm just going to do what I want to do regardless of what counsel I receive, that is not what we're after. Okay? There's a big difference and we need to make, um, um, let's not make the mistake of confusing these two things. Seeking justification for a decision that you've already made with seeking counsel on a decision that you're about to make. Okay, those are two very different things. And God's word would have us seek out the latter, not the former, so that we can be confident in God's leading. Well, lastly, if we want to be those who are making right decisions in the critical moments of life, we need to believe God's promises. We need to hold fast to God's plan. We need to pursue God's prize. And lastly, we need to believe God's promises. Verse 28 says, By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Now here we have another jump in Moses' life in terms of years. Um, he had gone from three months to 40 years, as you'll remember. And in Acts 7 verse 30, it says, When 40 years had passed when Moses was in the desert, God calls him to return to Egypt to deliver God's people. Now, D.L. Moody um, has an awesome quote about uh, how, kind of how to break down Moses' life. He says, Moses spent 40 years thinking he was a somebody. And then he spent 40 years on the backside of the desert realizing that he was a nobody. And then he spent the last 40 years of his life learning what God can do with a nobody. And so we're going to enter that stage of Moses' life. You may know the story. God calls Moses now as an 80-year-old shepherd to deliver Israel. And Moses says to him, you know what, God? <sighs> like, I just don't really think that I'm the guy. I can't really speak that well. And God says, what do you mean? I created your tongue. I'll speak through you. And he says, yeah, you know, I still don't think I'm your guy. But my brother... He's really, really good at this kind of thing. So may maybe we should get him involved in this as well. And so Moses and Aaron go to Egypt to seek deliverance of God's people. And they show up to Pharaoh, requesting that Pharaoh let God's people go. And he says, yeah, absolutely. 
Right away, no problem. First time you asked, go ahead, right? No, he doesn't. He refuses over and over. And so God displays his power and his glory in incredible ways. And Pharaoh continues to harden his heart, continues to refuse their request. And so God judges Egypt and God sends nine plagues upon Egypt, just devastating the land, like devastating the livestock, the economy. Everything is absolutely decimated. And then after, Pharaoh still refuses. So a final plague is threatened. And that tenth and final plague that God would send on the Egyptians was the death of all the firstborn, of man and also of beast. And to protect the Israelites from this plague, the Passover was instituted in which God commanded Moses to tell Israel to sacrifice a lamb and to sprinkle the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and on the lintels of their houses. And that the Lord, he would pass through the land of Egypt that night and he would strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, but that the blood would be a sign of deliverance for them. Acts 12, or sorry, Exodus 12, verse 13 says, When the destroyer would see the blood, he would pass over the house, and no plague would befall them. Now just imagine yourself as an Israelite listening to this instruction from Moses as to what you are supposed to be doing. This would sound so strange. And we have to remember that the Old Testament sacrificial system had not been inaugurated yet. And so Moses and the people of Israel, they don't fully understand the significance of what God is asking them. And logically, like it's impossible that sprinkling some blood on some wood is going to have the power to keep away this angel of death, this destroyer. But here's the point. Sprinkling the blood as God had commanded them was an act of faith. It was an act of obedience and belief in God's promises, not just for deliverance, but also for judgment. This is how the people of Israel identified with God. They believed the promise that if they sprinkled the blood of the Passover, they would not receive the judgment that was to come. And in the same way, Moses' decision to keep the Passover as God had commanded displayed what he truly valued. It displayed that he valued God's promises, that God's provision was something that he held in high regard. And that decision would shape the entire course and quality of Moses' life. But here's the sad truth. If you know the story from Exodus, the same is the case for those who did not believe. Right? Their decision to not sprinkle the blood displayed their lack of belief in God's judgment. And that decision that night would change the entire course and quality of their lives and the lives of their families as those who received God's judgment. You know, the same is true for us today. When you and I are faced with critical decisions, we need to recognize that our decisions actually reveal a whole lot about what we truly believe about God's promise of deliverance in the gospel. Your decision to be bitter and to not forgive, let me ask you, what, what does that truly reveal about your belief and how much you really value God's forgiveness? 
your decision to be impatient or to lash out in anger, what does that reveal about your belief of or how much you value God's patience with you? You know, your decision to hold on to sin and to choose to not repent of it, what does that reveal about your belief of the gravity of your sin and how much you value God's holiness? Your decision may be to put on a mask and to pretend that you're somebody that you're not. What does that say, friend, about your belief of the depth of God's love for you and how much you truly value the freedom and the full forgiveness that God offers to even the gravest sinner? And so the last question that we need to be asking ourselves as we're facing critical decisions in our life is this. How will this decision reveal what I believe about the gospel? How will this decision reveal what I believe about the gospel? You know, maybe you're here today and you don't know Christ. Maybe you don't know what it means to make a decision by faith because you don't know or believe the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Maybe you don't know that, friends, in the same way that God offered deliverance through the blood of the Lamb, now He offers us deliverance. And He offers you deliverance from sin and death through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. Let me call you to recognize this morning that if you do not make a decision to come to Christ, you are in fact making a decision to reject Christ and the forgiveness that he offers for you today. And so judgment and deliverance are both held out before you this morning. Because in the same way that in the days of Israel, if you failed to act and believe God's promise, you received judgment. The Bible tells us, the Bible tells us that there is a judgment that will come when all who fail to place their trust and their faith in Christ will be eternally separated from God. And so let me plead with you. If that is you today, would you come to Christ? Would you make a decision to come to Christ? Friend, recognize your need for a Savior and believe, believe in the good news. Salvation can only be found through the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you believe, you too can have faith and receive the deliverance that is offered to you today. You know, if you know the Lord, brothers and sisters in Christ, listen up. Each decision that we make displays what we truly value. So we need to be the kind of people that are making decisions that are in step with the gospel. Okay, that affirm our belief in the gospel, that affirm what we say we value. Because some decisions have the ability to shape the entire course and quality of your life. Listen, we are much more a product of the decisions that we make than we are of the circumstances that we face. And you know, the reality is that we're not going to do this perfectly, right? Even if we look at Moses' life, if we were to put a microscope on each and every area of Moses' life outside of the text that I'm preaching this morning, we would see that he actually made some really poor decisions as well. Moses was by no means a perfect individual, and yet God honored him by placing him in this hall of faith because by faith, he made some right decisions that pleased 
the Lord. And so like in the story of Moses, let it be known of us that we are a people who each and every day are striving by God's grace to respond to the critical decisions in our life by faith, that we're prioritizing what God has said. We're holding fast to it. We're pursuing God's eternal prize, not the temporary prestige and pleasure and plenty that this world offers, that we're seeking to be confident in God's leading, which is affirmed to us through the word of God and the wisdom and the counsel of others. And lastly, that we're believing in God's promises, that our actions actually affirm our belief in the deliverance that we've received through the Lamb of God. Because in each of the ways that we do this, brothers and sisters, in each of the ways that we do this, from day to day as we make decisions, what are we doing? We're displaying the value, the infinite value and worth of our God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your grace, God, that continues to point us back to the cross. God, we thank you that deliverance is offered to us through the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, that it was him who bore our death, that it was him who bore our sin and our shame. And Lord, that we no longer have to deal with those things if we receive this truth by faith. And so God, I pray for each of the unbelievers that are in this room this morning. God, I pray that you would grant faith to believe your promises. I pray, God, that their hearts would not be hardened to the truth, but that there would be repentance. And God, I pray for the believers in this room who are struggling maybe with regret or some decisions that they've made in the past. God, would you help us to see from the life of Moses that there are no wasted moments. God, but that you can use each and every decision that we make for greater effectiveness in ministry in life, to proclaim your glory, to proclaim your truth. And we thank you, God, most of all for the deliverance that we've received through the Lamb of God who was slain in our place, God. And now as we respond to this reality in song. Lord, would you fill this room with the voices of your people? With thankful hearts, we declare the Lamb of God who is in my place. No greater love have we known. We give all glory and praise to Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.